0: Because I'm the founder of the company. Real Estate Agents I Trust.com.
1: Ladies and gentlemen,
2: Billy Halliwell and Chris Field, the church boys. From the sublime to the ridiculous,
3: the costly ridiculous. It is
0: to wonderful Sunday
3: afternoon. I.
1: Hate these guys. Well, Billy, um, so there's a whole lot of stuff going on as we're re- getting ready to record here. Like, things are dropping as we go along, so we had other things we were thinking about, talking about, but... The, I'm, the I'm, world is like a toilet. Things are just dropping endlessly. <laughs> so, I'm kind of wondering if maybe we set aside some of the stuff we plan to talk about, get to it later, and kind of start by addressing the hippopotamus in the room. Oh boy! So cankles, aka uh, that's not nice. It's not kind or Christian. What is something wrong with you? You went there. So, so Hillary Clinton. Um, there's a new report that has come out today. Not a report, like actual documents from the government. Now, remember when Comey, FBI director Comey decided that there he laid out the entire case for a prosecution of Hillary Clinton I mean laid out the entire case spent 15 minutes laying out the case for persecuting persecuting prosecuting Hillary Clinton right she would have said it was persecuting but yeah so he lays out the entire case for prosecuting Hillary Clinton and the the last 10 seconds of his little spiel says we don't recommend prosecuting I can't, why can't I get the words right? We don't recommend prosecuting Hillary Clinton. That's our recommendation. There wasn't wasn't not, there a word that I was doing that with for the longest know, time? I don't know. Pie and cake. I think he kept getting those two mixed up. <laughs> Stupid. And, and so then he goes and testifies before Congress, right? Comey does. And there's the summary notes of the – because the FBI had, had interviewed – and talked with uh, Hillary Clinton for a long time and there are the notes that they took and well and they told Congress they would give them the summary of the notes they give them the notes and and a summary of the notes and that came out in the last couple of weeks and it's heavily redacted well today Friday the FBI released excuse me the FBI released uh the, sum, the their summary to publicly the the summary public the pu- released publicly the summary of their interview with Hillary Clinton and it's heavily redacted. However, there are some very interesting portions, yes, Billy oh <laughs> oh yes. my goodness so I it
4: I actually think if we were to see this play out the way that it would with anybody else that wasn't a Clinton, yeah, yeah. it would be extremely damaging
1: oh absolutely extremely. and heres and here's the thing. And here's the thing that ought to drive everybody crazy. The FBI is supposed to be uh, a nonpartisan, nonpolitical organization. This is it's is supposed to be, right? It's law enforcement. This is the FB friggin' I. And when do they release this damning report, the summary on Hillary Clinton's interviews with the FBI? When do they release it? They release it on Friday afternoon before friggin' Labor Day. <laughs> Intentionally, me. obviously. Right, right. I'm sure it's intentional. It, That is always done by politicos who know that something is damaging. If you've got a damaging report to release, release it on a Friday afternoon. And if you can wait till the Friday afternoon of a three-day weekend, that's when you do it. And guess what? This is when the FBI drops this. The FBI drops this damning summary of their interviews with Hillary Clinton on a Friday afternoon before Labor Day. That tells you everything you need to know about what's going on in the government right now.
4: Yeah. And and let me say this. I don't I hate that all of these things are always so political, right? Like everything that happens is, is a political move. It's the right trying to get the left, the left trying to get the right. But I think that these are really legitimate and there you are with your diet Coke as I drink my coffee. Um, but these are really legitimate issues. you know you're talking about two candidates who are essentially insane in their own regard. Um, and you have one that apparently is misplacing cell phones allegedly oh or they yeah, can't figure out where her cell phones are um, or, the least of the problems here is that there have been some email issues where, you know, emails that were classified have been sent out. There's all of this chaos, and you're thinking one of these people
1: is going to have the nuclear yep. codes. Yep. Now, here's here's the deal, right? So part of, the, part of the reason Comey said that they didn't recommend prosecuting Hillary Clinton was that they couldn't prove intent. Now, there are several things in these in these documents that have been released that kind of speak to intent, and one is... It has a naughty word in it, so we'll probably have to go back and bleep it, I suppose, or maybe we'll just say an abbreviation of the word. But there is <clears throat> just weeks after—was it three weeks after? I think Chris Saliza reports three weeks after uh, the New York Times reports on uh, on Hillary's nonsensicalness. Nonsensory. Anyway, three weeks after the New York Times publishes Clinton's email server story, right? Because she's had all these conserve these all these classified documents on her server. As Secretary of State, she used a private server to do government work, including transmitting classified information. According to Chris Saliza, and he's got he's and he has circled uh, a portion of this FBI release. Says this is crazy. Three weeks after the New York Times publishes Clinton's email server story there was one big wipe of her emails conducted and according to the fbi this is a, this is the F, this is a quote from the fbi in a follow up fbi inter, interview on may 3rd 2016 blank redacted indicated that he believed he had an os moment and sometime between march 25 <laughs> but it actually says Mar- the word right and it, this is this is a government fbi government document it has the curse word in it os Moment and sometime between March 25th and the 31st of 2015, deleted the Clinton archive mailbox from the PRN server and used BleachBit to delete the exported PST files he had created on the server system containing Clinton's emails. So Clinton comes out and she says, "I want the world to know, to have these emails." Weeks later, after the New York Times, she says this after the New York Times publishes the story. She says, "Okay, release the emails." Weeks after that, before the emails get released, he has an OS moment. This guy, whoever it is that they d- deleted the emails, they they don't have his name in the report. He has this OS moment and goes in and uses that bleach bit program to erase the data that was in, that that had stored all the information that was in the uh, in the emails. I mean, this is this is damning. So that's the first one. So tell me there's no intent there, right? I mean, that's obvious. That speaks to intent. How the FBI could come to the conclusion that there was no intent to deceive, right? Uh, well,
4: what, what is the OSHIT moment, right? If, I don't know, even, I might as well just set it if I'm spell it, but well, what is the- that moment if not right. some sort of, oh my gosh, I need to right. cover my tracks here? Right, absolutely. And so... Honestly, somebody could step in a pile of poo and it could run for president and I think people would vote for it at this point. I mean oh, yeah. this is it's crazy. The or or An them, actual
1: pile of poo. What? Or an actual pile of poo could run for or president. An actual pile of poo could run, could run for president
4: and and maybe win. I don't yeah, even know at this point. Maybe. It,
1: it is the, the stupidity of the American people when it comes to the candidates that they select is just staggering to me. It's it's unbelievable. So she gets in there and so one of the things during the comey hearing now so we have that thing that speaks to intent right now we have some other things in here that are damning especially when it comes to whether or not she knew things were classified so there is the intent on the things being wiped we i think that this this summary from the fbi speaks to that maybe even proves it. i don't know if it proves it or not but at least points to it it's at least evidence toward intent now you got to have the discussion about whether she knew things were classified or not, and the law says anything that any reasonable person would understand would be classified. If you're in that, you know when information should be classified, and she included, including like drone strikes. She talks about she didn't. The the, the the report says the notes from the FBI says Clinton stated deliberation over a future drone strike did not give her cause for concern regarding classification. She had communications about a future drone strike in those emails, the information that would be classified, and she had no concern about uh, military operations, whether or not they were classified. (laughs) Look, th- this is the thing with all of this. I don't believe
4: whether somebody's under oath or not, I don't believe that she may, you may play stupid in a sense, right? It's much better to yep. go in, I would assume, and I'm not a lawyer, but it's much better to go in and say, I didn't know. I didn't know the process. I didn't know how that worked. Yep. Oh, I didn't know that the little letter next to the, all those things that was C meant classified. I oh, thought it was an a- alphabetical system. Yeah, uh, that's, is and- that is why we're watching some Sesame Street special. That, <laughs> you know, you can say all of those things and it sounds much better than saying, I knew and I ignored it yep. or I didn't care. Yep. I was careless because I would assume that that's a little more illegal yes. than saying I didn't know. <laughs> it, stupidity is, you know, unless uh, unless it's a, a bigger, broader crime that impacts somebody else directly, right. stupidity is a better defense. <laughs> well, it's
1: it's usually you, the punishment for it is usually lower, right? So, unbelievable. So if you're if you're not familiar with what Billy's talking about, he's he's mentioned this is another thing that's in the report that we haven't got to yet but the marking of the little letter C. Now this was a big topic uh, amongst. Uh, Hillary's Democratic apologists during the Comey hearing. And during the Comey hearing, uh, Democrats loved to point out that only like three or six times amongst all these documents was there a little marking of the letter C on the margins of the document. And along those margins where where it says C, that is supposed to indicate this is classified material. Do not share this. Do not put it on non-secure excuse me, non-secured servers. Are you burping or are you hiccuping? No, I was burping. Oh, okay. Politely though. I was trying to do it politely so that nobody would know it and would would call attention to it. Well, Um, no, it, it was evident. Okay. So these letter C's, right, are supposed to indicate on these messages, this is classified, don't share this, don't put it on an unsecured server, right? She should know this. The Democrats' argument during those things is, wouldn't that be a very easy thing to miss? I mean, very easy thing, at least not under, to not understand, but especially to miss and not know it was there, and really not know what it meant, right? So their argument, though, that she would have missed these little letter C's, this little in their point, just this little letter C on a, just a few documents, this little tiny letter C that it would be very easy to miss amongst thousands of documents, that she wouldn't have seen it. Well, the fact is, she admitted to the FBI that she did see the letter C there. And what she claimed is that she didn't know what the C meant. She thought it was just some sort of way of, um, let's see. Uh, Clinton Learn, stated, learning, the, learning her ABCs. Right. That's Clinton, what I thought I read. Clinton stated she did not know what the C meant, which means she saw it. She said she did not know what the C meant at the beginning of, par- of the paragraphs and speculated it was referencing paragraphs marked in alphabetical order. I thought that she thought it was a letter for Scrabble, that
4: maybe she was no. thinking she...
1: But the fact is she... couldn't had, figure out why the she, Scrabble board had all C's on it. She admitted to the FBI that she saw the letter C and then she claimed she didn't know what it meant, which jettisons the Democrats' entire argument that she, that it would have been very easy to miss. No, she saw well, it no, wait, and claims wait, 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 not but know the what most, it meant.
4: You, you already said this, but the most horrifying line is Clinton could not give an example of how classification of a document was determined. <laughs>
3: right. <laughs>
1: and yet she's... And she and she says, I don't think I ever she said what what else did she say? I don't remember ever receiving any training. Let's see. Clinton told FBI agents. This is from the report. Clinton told FBI agents she could not remember ever receiving any training for how to preserve federal records or treat classified material. Clinton could not give an example of how classified classification of a document was determined. And Clinton could not recall or did not recall receiving any emails she thought should not be on an unclassified system. And yet, no, you want to know what I think? Her. I'm going to step yeah.
4: out of my, I'm usually the nice one out of the two of us. Who's <laughs> like, I'm not going to, I think, and this is me saying alleged, al- al- allegedly, as I like stumble over myself, that Hillary intentionally went into this, intentionally used a server that was private so that she could send and receive whatever she wanted, assume yeah. she would never be caught, assume yeah. nobody would ever come after her, assumed it wouldn't be a problem. But if it ever did become a problem, she figured, you know what? it's my server, I'll be able to get out of it when that time comes. And I think that is
1: exactly the problem with the Clintons. I agree. And I think that you're spot on in your analysis. And I love somebody, in X, in X, somebody on Twitter, responding to a report that Clinton had told the FBI she thought C classified marking on emails was a way to put up paragraphs in alphabetical order. He responds, L-O-Fing, but not says effing, he actually has the word, L-O-Fing L. Did she wonder where A and B were? I mean, we are are being ruled by idiots. We have, we are, we act like idiots, we elect idiots, and then we're surprised that we get idiotic things from the people we elect. (sighs)
2: <sighs>
4: I mean I'm, I'm looking up <laughs> I'm loving Donald Trump's feed I'm just looking at it right now It's September 1st <laughs> Poll numbers way up Making big progress And then like every other tweet is about polling Because that's obviously where the issue's been for him And the interesting thing And I've said this to you every day she has gone from seven points in the Real Clear Politics average. It's I now four point one points. Yes, I think you're going to see average. her go to three. You know, once right. you're in the three range,
1: you are. It
4: is possible. He
1: still it's has to get those swing of, states. It's in margin of error, but the national number doesn't really matter. It's the state by but state number that matters.
4: Can I? Can I ask a question here? Yeah. We we always talk about likely voters. These polls are generally restricted to likely voters that is a better okay that is a more reliable statistic i agree right i agree always i agree except this year i don't know because and i I think it still
1: is but but this election is like no other yeah right i I mean that it is like voter numbers are going to be way down this year i don't think we're going to have the same record i don't think we're going to have the same turnout we had in 08 or in 2012 it's I either we'll going to be have, way down or way up, and I think it's going to be way down. But it would not surprise me. But if it's way down, I, then 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 likely voters is definitely a more accurate statistic.
4: Unless Trump, right? I mean, look, I don't know the methodology of how different polling firms, you know, I don't have the data in front of me. Go about figuring out these likely voters, right? Obviously, I would imagine past voting history. If you said you voted, yep. um, you're going to have a lot of people like you were saying who may not vote, but you're also going to have a lot of
1: people who maybe haven't voted who are like, wow. Donald Trump, he's going to make America great again, right? But they determine that when they when they ask the questions again, as you said, we don't know how they determine it, but they do have a method of de- making I'm that sure. determination. I'm sure. I still, I I still will be interested to see,
4: and, and it may it's, be it's, par for the court, cool, but I don't know. It's such a bizarre it is election. So weird.
1: So okay. So the last and the funniest so far of the notes that we've processed, right, is is the BlackBerry situation.
4: <laughs> I can't. <laughs> this woman is a. I really can't. Oh, let's
1: see. So, remember how Hil- how many devices did Hillary, Hillary tell us what she had?
4: One. Wasn't right. it one, one at a time?
1: Like she said she kind of indicated no iPad, no iPhone, that she just had a BlackBerry. And then there was photographic evidence that she didn't have just a BlackBerry, right? So, what did we find out, Billy, about not only did she have simultaneous <laughs> devices, what else did we find out? Hold on. I have to read it. I have to read it verbatim from. um, Hold on.
4: I'm pulling it up just because I need I need to actually read it because I think it's the best thing I've seen a news organization send in the longest time. And
1: this is according to Reuters. Are you reading the Reuters? Yes. Yeah. Reuters
4: Reuters says Clinton aide said she often replaced her Blackberry and whereabouts of the old device would, quote, frequently become unknown.
1: (laughs) That's a quote from the FBI. That is the (laughs) FBI quote. She frequently—we're living in a cartoon, right? And so she lost her Blake. She (laughs) Hillary lost her BlackBerry often and frequently, according to her own people. There's another,
4: um, another story now. Emails show the State Department vetted Bill Clinton's contacts. That'll be interesting. That'll be very interesting. Um. Oh man.
1: So okay. So so but but go further down into the report. So not only did she lose them frequently and often, how many of her. how many of her blackberries couldn't they find Do you remember <laughs> 13. 13 13 um and that doesn't well, include but, that doesn't but, but even wait. include the ones that she
4: didn't lose there are the 13 campaign Hillary- is saying that the documents show why the justice department didn't move forward with with an email probe what's that I don't know. I oh. haven't read the reasoning yet, but, but you know, this is just breaking. Clinton campaign says FBI document release shows why the, Justice Department did not move forward with the email probe.
1: The FBI couldn't find 13 missing Hillary Clinton blackberries. She's either the dumbest person on the planet or... Oh, that's maniacal. about it. She's that's maniacal. about it. She's... Yeah. Or she ruined them throwing them at people. Who knows? Th Can we move on because she's enraging me. Oh, she, it, is, it is. And by
4: enraging oh. me, I mean I'm becoming hungry. <laughs> Because I just wanna eat food. Like talking about Hillary makes me so tired and exhausted right. and hungry. So just, what what
1: would you like to move to? Do we need to transition? <laughs>
4: yes, let's transition.
1: Okay. And I'm laughing because we have a story about Oh, is that where you're transitioning to? Or are we gonna, no, but are we gonna I I hit just, that later? We maybe, I, think we, but, I think we gotta hit that later because that is outrageous.
4: Yeah. Um I think we, I want to just talk briefly about this bizarre story about people marrying oh. themselves.
1: Okay. And this is an example of family getting screwed up in America, which also speaks to that transition story that we need to also bring up later.
4: So, well, you know, it's not just fan, honestly. It- I don't think it's just family. I don't think you you do either. But I think family is a hugely important, you know, piece yeah. of the puzzle. I think it's everything is screwed up. I yeah. You look at the statistics, I don't have them in front of me, but Gallup and Barna and some of these, you know, polling firms who have gone out and asked Americans, you know, what is truth? What is morality? And it's increasingly becoming, you know, truth is whatever's inside of you. Truth is however you feel about. That is not what truth is, first of all. And it's extremely dangerous when we look at the world in a way and we just say, oh, we we can't judge anybody else for anything ever because truth is inside of us. I mean, it's just so creepy and bizarre. Yeah, it's okay to be, look, it's okay to say, I believe, and this is what a lot of libertarians do, you know, uh, on many issues. I believe that that might not be right, but, you know, to each your own legally, you know, whatever. I think there are arguments to be made for that sometimes, and people could defend that. But but you should be able to, as an intelligent human being, separate your personal moral views out from what you think a policy should be. When it's all in one ball all the time, Right. I think... And you may and you may oppose both, right? Like on gay marriage, you may oppose legalization and the, the theological, moral, you know, whatever. Right. Anyway, I'm on a tirade. I just I, it's crazy to me. But yeah, you're. So this is, this story is, and we had this on Deseret News. I did not write this. Um, it's so sologamy, sologamy instead of polygamy. So sologamy, sologamy. There we go. So, sologamy. sologamy, sologamy. I don't even. I've never heard, heard of this. So. Right. I don't even know. Uh, but it's a wedding for oneself. Wedding for one, and you basically, um, and apparently this is happening. It's not like a huge thing, but it is happening in Denmark, in the U.S., in Japan, and single women mainly. Some men apparently, uh, they're pledging formal ceremonies to love themselves, be good to themselves, and treat themselves as their best friend. Honestly, are, is this is this ser-
1: is this for real? Well, it's all of the what is, the 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 the, the self affirmation stuff. All the crap that we teach kids. What is the what is it that we always criticize in the schools? uh, self-confidence and all this, all the, just, we have to make ourselves feel better about ourselves. And it's like, it's, it's, and it's not one of these disgusting, I'm going to quote, love myself. When it's like, (laughs) when you're talking about love yourself, you're talking about actually doing something else with yourself. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Like people are going to have all this. uh, What, what does it it say? So like a wedding, it's not attracting a title It's capturing attention in parts of the world. Where, where is it? Uh, Pledging formal in pledging informal ceremonies to love themselves, be good to themselves, and treat themselves as the best friend. Right to have all the. I I don't understand this idea that we have to constantly, pander to our own feelings and feel good about ourselves. But that's the world that we live in. It's asinine. (laughs) it is fascinating but i would actually
4: argue and i love netflix and i love you know we live in the on demand world everything yes, is yep. on demand everything is w- the way we want it when we want it we fast forward through commercials which by the way i love i mean yeah. everything though not only is it the way we want it to be increasingly we have news outlets that reflect what we want them to reflect we right. have we all live in our own self you know created bubbles and yeah. so i think i do think that when you don't have god as the center and when you're loving yourself so self centered that you've got you know, you're you're praising yourself in these ceremonies yeah. or whatever. Even if you're not doing that, that is taking place of having God at the center of your yeah. life and and revolving around that. Even yeah. with all that other stuff, that other yeah. static, right? I, I, I agree. Um, not that look, there may be people marrying
1: themselves who love God very much. I just think but it's silly. Just, but it's just it is just example of being selfish and self-absorbed almost all the time. It's all about I'm just gonna treat myself with respect and do all this because here's here's the fact. The fact is that you are an unmarriable, loathsome person, most likely. The reason that you're, <laughs> you're a loathsome person, so and this isn't just women, right? It's This isn't just a women thing. It's men and women. The reason that you are unmarried and unhappy is because you are an unhappy person, and people who are around you become more unhappy. They don't want to marry you because th- there is a common denominator between um, amongst all of your failed relationships. You cow, you dope, you jerk who can't get married.
3: You are out of control. And that
1: that common denominator is you, the person, the person who has bad behavior, the person who has bad habits, the person who doesn't actually respect other people but is so focused on yourself. You are never going to find love and you're never going to find happiness in marriage if you're focused on yourself all the time. And it speaks to what you just pointed out, and that's the selfishness. And and as long as you are selfish like that, you will never be in a happy relationship with another human being. You can be happy in a relationship by yourself. That's not a relationship. That's maniacal. I mean, that's you're a crazy person.
4: Look, I, all and, a, of and this. a loser, and a loser. But what do you expect? I mean, look, listen, and this is the theme—a theme that you and I have talked about a lot. It's a theme I'm going to be talking about more. But like, I just—I think about it. It's like media, entertainment, universities, media, entertainment, universities. That's where younger people have learned. Yep. And if you—if you don't go to college, which a lot of people don't—you at least have media. And entertainment, which are pervasive. They're everywhere. They're on our phones, on our tablets. They are everywhere. And they have the same message. It's being pushed through unless you're looking for something else. Nine times out of ten. I mean, look. Look at the numbers. 91% of Hollywood or 90% of Hollywood as of October, this is a while back now, were giving their money. So 90% of all Hollywood money was going to Hillary Clinton already. Mm-hmm. So that wasn't even, you know, I've been talking about Bernie. We're talking about Hillary yeah, <laughs> yeah. only. Yeah. So Hollywood is overwhelmingly liberal. And I think some of it's just ignorance. They don't yeah. even, they're not even thinking. Not all of it's like, oh, I'm going to go after Christians. Some of it is. Right. But, you know, we got to get smart about this if we want to have any sort of impact. Oh,
1: I agree. Culture, now, right? I mean, So you say you're going to be talking about this more and more. Why, why is that? I'm writing an autobiography of your life,
4: Chris. so that would not make it an autobiography. As, a, as a Hollywood yeah, An um, autobiography would be something a biography you wrote about I'm yourself. I'm sorry. Well, we're writing it together, so that it's it's partially an autobiography. Why don't you I'm, actually tell me... I'm, I'm giving you a chance to. Hump, well, actually, I'm ghostwriting. I shouldn't have announced that because I'm going to be ghostwriting your autobiography.
1: Okay, so I'm giving you a chance to hump your what you're working on right now, and you're not you're not taking me up on it, so that's fine. Um. What is the what is it you're working on? Let people know what it is you're working on. You've got a book you're working on. All right, I'm
4: working on another book and it's about these topics. It's about kind of where we are and you know a lot of the book is focused on statistics and um you know information about sort of what what we are saying. The, the problem is when we talk about bias, it's really hard for us to say, "Oh, the media are definitely biased, every professor's biased" because yeah. Nobody's studying it. We don't have studies on it. We have to look at the available information. You think these people are going to study themselves? No, they're not going to. So um, but we do what I and I just without going on a tirade, I find it really interesting when you look at what is out there. You ask Americans, where do they stand on media? Do they think the media is fair? It's funny, the Democrats, more than half of them always seem to think the media is fair. They seem to think the media treats everybody. And you look at everybody else, the moderates and no, they don't think so. So that should tell you something. Yep. Yep, it's not just paranoid people. It's there's a problem
5: there.
1: Now, and if you were paying attention on Facebook this week to any of our feeds, you would you would see that Billy had talked about this book that's coming out soon, and I I made an announcement also on your feed that I will be autographing copies of your book for people. Uh, if anybody wants to send a uh, send a send a copy to me of your book, I will autograph it and send it back. Is that a Um, just
4: As I'm sitting here, I just got an email from David Gregory, who I had reached out to for the book. As we're sitting here talking about it, how ironic is that? Yeah, we had him Um, on the
1: show. He's a good guy.
4: Well, you know what I find funny about people is you try to, he is a great guy. And, and I don't know if he's going to do an interview with me. I don't think he wants to be going on and on about media bias, but um, <laughs> although he already did, and that's in the book. So th- the nice thing I love about this show is like whatever people say, they say it. And, right. we're, and we right. can then, you know, not use it, but I'm saying it, it's on the record, it's there. And if you've said something, you know, watch out. It's going to be in my book.
1: Right. To and be I, my expose and I, I think he I think he I don't know that he would admit to having a bias one way or the other for your book, but I think that he would have an interesting take on the argument, at least as an, obser- an yeah. observer of the argument, someone who has heard it a thousand times. What's your reaction to this?
4: Well, do right? you remember? I don't know if you were he, we asked him about it and he said, yeah, yeah. yes, the media is about bi- their bias. Yeah. yeah, but, but he, he, he did. He clarified that he thought it was a broader bias in different ways, right, but right. he definitely it admitted it though, but yeah. didn't admit it for himself. And I thought that was great; I thought it was interesting. Right. But anyway, he's coming on the Church Boys. He said he wants to come back. Oh, on, good! So. I'd
1: love to have him. Love to have him. So let's uh, let's take a break, and we'll come back. And I want to talk about. We have a. Are we going to do one or two interviews this week?
4: Oh gosh, I I don't know. I right. guess. I mean, I have other. We've had so many great people come on. I think you know. Let's just do
1: two. Let's just do the the two that we did. Yeah. Just, that we just recorded. Okay. We'll do, we'll 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 tell you more about them as we as the show moves along. But uh, uh stay tuned. We'll be right back.
2: Attention.
0: I am a big fan of disruptive ideas, and this year, Casper Mattresses is on the top of my list. Hi, it's Glenn Beck, and I love sleeping on my Casper Mattress. Casper is an obsessively engineered mattress at an unbelievably fair price. It combines springy latex and supportive memory foams to create an award-winning sleep service with just the right sink and just the right bounce. And better yet, it breathes so you don't wake up drenched in sweat. Time Magazine named it one of the best inventions of 2015. In fact, it's now the most awarded mattress of the decade. Try Casper for a hundred nights, risk-free in your home. And if you don't love it, they're going to pick it up and refund everything. Imagine that—a company so confident that their product is what you want that they'll offer a 100% refund. Made in America, with free shipping and returns to U.S. and Canada. Get $50 off of any mattress purchase by visiting Casper.com/Glen and use the promo code Glen. Terms and conditions do apply. Go to Casper.com/Glen. Casper.com/Glen. Glenn,
1: back to the church boys.
0: It's me, Christopher Fields, and I'm here today to tell you that I'm eating bacon because my wife is making bacon in the other room. My wife's
1: in the other room. Making bacon. Making bacon.
0: That's a wonderful little treat.
1: It was very nice. Anyway. I stepped out of the room to go, you know, biffy um, during that little break, and I walked through the kitchen, and it's just... The aroma of bacon is filling the filling the house, and the wife said, "Here's some bacon. Well, would you like some bacon?" This is this proves the level of love that my wife has for me, and the fact that we've been married a really long time, because this to me is the most romantic thing she's done in like the last ten years. And we just went on an <laughs> anniversary trip, by the way. Is when I walk in the room, she is. I made some bacon. Would you like some? Yes, I would. Thank you very much. Just a freaking
4: mess. Um. Well, okay. Moving on from your bacon drama, we actually have a couple of really great guests that we talked to this week, and one of them was I would a argue, great interview. I, I, until, argue, I would
1: argue we had one really great guest. <laughs> yeah. And one, one medi- really and one mediocre guest.
4: Well, the, the <laughs> issue that we had was that I did not know some information about Sadie Robertson before we went into the interview.
2: (laughs) This is our first interview.
4: Chris, you can always count on Chris to make a bad situation worse. (laughs) And he started with a compliment and then threw a line in. And I want you guys to listen for it. We're going to talk about it after the interview. (laughs) Threw a line in that I think was sort of like holding somebody's hand to a burning like stove top.
1: (laughs) It wasn't even meant to be. But it, worked but it wasn't out. meant to
4: be, but, but it worked out all I, right. I texted poor Sadie after and said <laughs> I was sorry and didn't hear back. Um Anyway, Just lose my number, you pig. Anyway, she actually we lo- we love Sadie. We've yeah. had her on the show a bunch of times. She's she great. Likes,
1: she seems to like us. All right.
4: Yeah, she's we're 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 friends in my mind at least. There you go. Um But she's in a new movie, and it's a a film called I Am Not Ashamed. It's a Pure Flix film, a faith-based movie about Rachel Scott, who was a 17-year-old girl who died at Columbine High School um, during the shooting in 1999 and was a Christian. There have been a bunch of books on her. There's uh, speaking to her. Her parents um, have done quite a bit, uh, raising awareness, using her story to help others. So the film talks about that, and actually Sadie plays rachel scott's cousin in the film so Mm. she's actually acting in this movie and we had a chance to talk to her about that roll it it's billy hollowall here with the church boys podcast and i am very excited to have sadie robertson on the line sadie how's it going today
3: going good I'm glad to be
4: here yeah I feel like we had you on like six months ago or or so and now we're having you on to talk about this project you have that's coming out um, very soon and it's called I am not ashamed it's a movie um, and it's about Rachel Joy Scott. And for those who don't know Rachel Joy Scott, she was a student at Columbine High School who passed away, was murdered during the shooting there. Uh, but she has this amazing backstory. And so, Sadie, you you have a role in this movie. You play, I think the character's name is Charity. Is that correct?
3: Yes, sir. That's me.
4: And so you are, now you are Rachel Joy Scott's cousin, um, in this movie, as a character, I guess let me just start by asking you what I, what for you drew you to this film.
3: I think what initially drew me to this film is you know I've never been in a movie before besides well at the time I had never been in a movie before. I filmed God's Not Dead shortly after this, but and I didn't even know if I could act or anything like that, but I wanted to be a part of the message that they were trying to share because you know everybody has heard of the Columbine shooting and it's a tragedy, but um, Rachel Scott's story is, even though she did pass away, her story is not about her death, it's about her life, and it's kind of bringing light into a really dark situation, and um, I'm really excited to be a part of that.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think there's so many elements, and I won't spoil it for people, but about what happened, you know, to her right before the shooting and just her life leading up to that as a Christian and, and all that, that really have captivated a lot of people some of those details over the years um her parents had a book out i think it was called Rachel's tears a while back um that that kind of guided people through uh, some of those fascinating details how much did you know because you're a little bit you're a little bit younger
1: so yeah i was going to ask you know, what what drew you to the story i mean you were two right when it happened weren't you about 2 years old probably
3: yeah i was really young and i didn't of course i don't remember when it happened But growing up, you know, you always – I've always heard of it. I've always heard about it and how it was one of the first um, to really cause – I mean, since then, we've had so many shootings, and it's really sad how how many shootings we have a year. But that one was the first that, like, you know, made a lasting impact. And so I think for me – you know always hearing about it but never really knowing the full story and then now getting to dive into the story it's just there's a lot to it and Rachel's story herself there's a lot more to it you know she is a Christian but she also went through so much before then and my character in the movie as her cousin I'm at like that time in her life where she's really hitting rock bottom and she's like I mean she wasn't necessarily living a Christian life but I was able to be there for her, which is really cool for me because that's how my family is. You know, we've all stuck together and all helped each other out in our face and through the spotlight. So, um, it wasn't I wasn't really playing anybody too far off from who I really yeah. am.
4: That's kind of interesting. That that's really interesting to me that. You know, and, and I think being able to see somebody's life, you know, even if people have read the book, having a chance to kind of see a film adaptation of that is interesting. It lets you into different layers of what that person went through um, and, and seeing the people like your character interact with her um, throughout some of that. Well, l- let me ask you what surprised you the most, you know, as you were filming, as you were going through the story, were there any elements of it that, you know, touched you or surprised you in any way?
3: Um, I think what surprised me is how, um, her, I mean, we got mother and how much like, um, light they've been able to bring from this situation, you know, because a lot of times the big news and everything, you know, only captures the darkness and the, the bad parts of the story and the terrible things that happen, but they forget to go back and capture like the good things that happen. And so I think just to me, how many, like, cool things came from it, like for Rachel, at least, like even after her death, how many people have been brought to life as a Christian because of her story. And like sometimes I think as a Christian, we have to flip our mindset to not seeing darkness as dark, but seeing darkness as something that needs to have a light like to shine on it. And um, I think that just surprised me how much light there actually is in that story.
4: (laughs) What would you say the biggest takeaway, you know, from the filmmaker's perspective and even from your perspective, after people go to see this movie, what do you guys want them feeling, thinking, experiencing?
3: I think I would like people to know, especially teenagers and young adults. You know, we worry about what people are going to say about us if we say we're Christian or what people are going to think and all they think. Rachel literally gave her life for it. And ultimately, as a Christian, that's what we're supposed to do. That's what we're called to do, to be able and willing to give up our lives for Christ. You know, when we surrender and we give him our life, we literally give him our life. And if that means dying, then, like, that's what it is. But today, we're so worried about what people are going to say or what people are going to think. Like, it's so much more than that. And if you got to think. If you can't stand up for your faith because somebody's going to say something bad, do you think that you could if somebody held a gun to your head? And I know it's deep, but that's what happened to her, and it could actually happen to you, especially in— Today's time and so I, I think it's gonna get people thinking about their life and their faith and how much it really means to them and the importance
1: of it. Well and it's and it's not just but we we today, you know, either old old farts like me and young bucks like you, Sadie, <laughs> we are faced day to day with, you know, you know, stand up for your faith or you're gonna risk losing a job or risk losing this friend, or you're gonna risk losing something that makes you comfortable and we can't even we oftentimes are, are incapable of standing up or we choose not to stand up in those situations. So what what have you used in your life? I know that your family has been very strong on this kind of stuff, standing for their faith when it comes to the to the show and other promotional um practice uh, promotional opportunities that they have. What what is it that grounds you and and how are you able to stick with your faith and your family? How are they able to stick to your faith their faith and say I'm willing to sacrifice this whether it's my life or my career or my well-being or my new boat or whatever it, whatever it might be, uh, in order to stand for my faith.
3: I think for me it's just the confidence that I have in my faith. And there's a verse in Hebrews chapter ten, verse thirty-five, and it says, "Do not forget the confident trust you have in the Lord for to be richly and rewarded." And it says like patience and endurance is what you need now, um, and it continues on to say all of more in a different verse about like how you have to be patient and you're going to go through time and stuff like that. And that verse, you know, it's not talking about being confident in who you are and yourself, but it's talking about being confident in who God is. And when you're confident in, in what you believe and you're confident in, in like the things that you know about God, then nothing can shake you on that because even if somebody does say you're stupid, you're, you're wrong, you're, you know, all these things, like, you know, and you're confident in the fact that you're right, and that it doesn't matter, and even if you do die, and even if you do get made fun of, and even if you do all these different things, you know that it's going to be richly rewarded, that confidence you have in God, and I can tell you that reward is going to be a lot better than whatever reward you're going to get on earth, Um, and so I think that that's, just a thing it's just about being confident in your faith and about what you believe and whenever you are then nothing can really shake that.
4: I love it. No, I think, I think that's, uh, that's so true. And I have, I have two more questions for you. Um, and one of them is about the film because I know one of the things about, about Columbine is that it was very violent, very awful. Um, how I know in the trailer, you see this moment where Dylan Claybold and Eric Harris are, are walking towards Rachel. Um, how did the film, and maybe you don't know the full answer to this, but how did the film sort of handle that balance of the violence of what happened and also showing the impact of what happened?
3: Honestly, um, I can't answer that fully because I wasn't there that day. I mean, I was there, but I wasn't in the scene or anything. Um, but I think with the story, I know that they wanted to tell it for what it was. They wanted to tell it like they they didn't twist anything or turn anything. You know, they, they're telling it how it is and it was violent and it was intense, but there was also a lot of, um, for what it is. Like Rachel did what she did and I don't, I don't know if you all wanna say that because when you see the movie you'll see what she did. But um, I think that I think that they just captured it exactly how it was. And you know, there's sadly there's a lot of footage from that day and a lot of witnesses and so I think that they did a really good job of it.
4: Oh, excellent. And my last question for you, totally unrelated to the movie, and I don't know how you want to answer it or if you want to answer it, but I've been curious, and I'm not going to ask you personal questions, but I always, I love watching, especially for for Christians in the public eye, you know, everyone's kind of looking and writing stories about you know, who you're dating and all of that. Is that ever hard? Because I know there's been a lot of press in the last month or so about you, and is, is the, do you find that frustrating? Is it not frustrating? I'm just curious sort of the inside of how you deal with that kind of attention.
3: Well, you know, to be honest, it's it's a little difficult, and it's funny that you asked that on a day like today because um, Trevor and I actually just broke up, and it's, like, everywhere in the media. I literally go on Twitter, and my name is everywhere, and, yeah, that's weird. That's different. You have to think, like, I think people forget to put themselves in that shoe, you know, like, what if they – them and their boyfriend broke up, and – it was everywhere on Twitter and it was everywhere on Facebook and it was everywhere in the media and nobody really knows the story, but people are putting in their input and saying what they think about it. And of course that's difficult, but I think again, it goes back to just your confidence and what like, for me, I'm like, I know what happened. I know the story, whatever anybody says, like it doesn't matter. Like I know in my heart what happened. And so Yes, it's definitely hard. I would think if you if didn't have that comment, it would be really hard. But for me, because of my family's helped me a lot with it and because I have like my faith in God, like he's helped me a lot with it. And um I'm able to just like know really in my heart what's true and what's not. But See, it's a little difficult. Difficult, and it's very different.
1: <laughs> Sadie, no, I want to. I want to apologize for my co-host for being an insensitive jerk and asking you about that. Um,
4: <laughs> I have to tell you, Sadie.
1: No! I, no, I had no idea about the latest detail there when I I was
4: asking you based on the press from before. So I'm I, I am very sorry, but, um, you know, but it's no, it's
3: actually I, funny because that just happened this morning. I mean, I've been on a radio call this whole morning, and somebody asked me, and it got out, and so it's it's literally it's totally
2: fine <laughs> well
4: i i appreciate the reason i asked you is because i always appreciate your responses on those things because your faith always shines through in how you handle yourself right yeah. um and in how you deal with i think a lot of the pressures of fame and there are pressures to fame and you and your family have handled them so well and so i appreciate you answering that question and uh really had a great time talking with you chris do you have any other questions
1: no i don't i'm just i'm uh again you don't need this for an old an old man like me sadie but we're we're proud of you and and uh, excited to yeah. see what Aww. see what you're going to do next and and keep it up and keep your nose clean. My son is 5 almost 6, so in 12 almost 12 years, a little over 12 years, he'll be eligible to be married. Uh if you're still single, I might <laughs> I might have him give you a call because you're a good kid and 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 what every father would want for his son. Uh, and so keep up Aww. the good work. Keep up the good work and keep being who you are.
3: Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate that.
1: Thanks,
4: Sadie. Have a good one.
3: Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. So,
4: um, if you didn't catch it, well, first of all, Sadie, thanks for coming on. Yes, we it was love you. It was lovely. Um, if you <clears throat> didn't catch the awkward question, because I like to ask questions outside <clears throat> the project that somebody is, you know, talking about. So, right. I didn't realize she had broken up with her boyfriend. I was more like interested that, that day. <laughs> That, that morning, apparently. Um, I was more interested in the fact that celebrities go through things publicly, and when you're a Christian, that's got to be difficult, especially difficult. Um, and little did I know, I'm rubbing salt in a wound of a breakup that just happened. But then, after I do that, and I'm like, I'm just going to let it go. Chris is like, Billy is so insensitive. And by the way, and if then you're he goes still into this single. <laughs> yeah, he goes into this thing, as you heard about, it, about his son, which is actually a nice compliment. Was, and then nice in 12 compliment. years, if you are still single, dot, 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 Again, I which I'm mean sure
1: is everybody's biggest fear. I didn't I didn't mean it that way. I meant it in a fun well, looking way. Looking back but on it, was, it, you can yeah. see you're adult. Right. Well, the way that it kind of fit in with the idiocy that came out of your mouth, it really made <laughs> kind of a double whammy. He's <laughs> so, such stupid. a good kid. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I can't. I really oh, can't. Man. All right. Well, let's um we have another interview coming that's even better. That's even better than that one, I think. I thought that the Sadie one was great, but the next one we got coming up pretty soon is really good. But before we get to that, Billy, you've got a story. What is this idiocy?
4: Is this Which one? Is this the, the Bible, the
1: Bible one? one? Now is this this does this have to do did Mikey cause this? Mikey did not cause okay. this.
4: This was our friends at the Freedom from Religion Foundation. <clears throat> You know, they're they're always out there banning Bibles. Um, no, but but look, this I think it's an interesting scenario. They have yeah. gone after hotels repeatedly. And I, I didn't realize how many universities own hotels. I, I, I did not know that was a thing. I didn't either. I had no I, clue. I didn't know. But I have enough do for them to go after them and they've had a lot of success because the Gideon <laughs> the Gideons and those, I laughed because those evil the Gideons. Well, let me tell you, the Gideons are – if you're listening anybody who's part of the Gideons or a member of the Gideons, can someone call me? Because I've been trying to interview somebody at the Gideons for four years and nobody – it's like a black hole. You can't reach anybody. Um, You know, Christian organizations need to call people back. That's my philosophy. That's my biggest frustration, actually. But the Gideons do good work and they give Bibles out and we love them for that. Um, But call me. I want to interview you. So – they and the reason I want to interview them is because all of these battles over Bibles have unfolded and they've been the target of them and we never hear from them. Right, we never hear what they're thinking, how they're pushing back, what they're going to do. Um, but anyway, in this case, what we've had happen um, is there is a hotel in Arizona, the Thunderbird Executive Inn. Um, it's a parent, apparently, part of. It was a private school. It became a public school a few years back. It joined um, Arizona State University. Um, so when that happened, the hotel technically, fa- I guess, it was hard to get an answer on this, but fell under the public university's ownership. And okay. in every room there was a Bible. Right um, Now, atheist argument is that Bible should not be in publicly owned hotel rooms. Uh, and and really, I think some people might be able to sympathize a little better if it wasn't like this insane Explanation of how it hurts their soul and it's right. so terrible. And you know, I I do think like, look, if you went to a hotel and there were only Korans in the drawer, how would you react, Chris? If
1: it was a university, I, owned a- I would leave the drawer shut and not. I actually, I might open up the Quran and see what it had to say if if the thing you know if I'm interested in reading it. The fact that it's there and it's not like it's obscene things. It's not. It's it's not as though somebody put you know a Playboy or a penthouse in the in the drawer. It's the Bible. And if it had been the Quran. It still wouldn't bother me because the fact is, I can close the drawer. I don't have to pull it out and read it. And sometimes maybe I would want to. Well, I don't disagree with you, but here's the problem. What normally
4: happens in these cases is they remove the Bibles, the schools, because they don't want to deal with it. And and the other end of it, let's say they say, we're not going to remove the Bibles, we're keeping them there. What ends up happening is the atheist group will go in and they'll say, well, fine, and this is hypothetical. They've done this with other sorts of stories, so I'm assuming. Right. Well, fine, then we get to have our literature there, too. Right. Then the Satanists come along and they say, well, we're going to have our literature there, too. And they're just atheists, so it doesn't even matter, because they're... they're just, those the, the Satanists we always hear about are actually right. atheists, just right. so everybody knows. They're right. not Satanists, they just... It's right. it's silliness. Right. Anyway, they get their Satanist material in there. So then you do have a situation where people might be a little more offended when they're opening the drawer and they've
1: got 10 different things in there. Yep. So how do you handle it? Well, the more the merrier as far as I'm concerned. But, yeah, I don't mind uh, that my, my thing is you're, the schools say, uh, pound sand. These are in here. We're not taking them out. Well, we got these other things you want to put in here. Eh, we'll think about it. But <clears throat> Well, then they sue. Right, but then they sue. So then you, then you can put more in. Now, I understand them taking out so they don't have to worry about Okay, we've got fifteen different pieces of literature in here, cluttering the like the entire. We'd have to put it in a whole another set of drawers in order to fill all the the, the garbage. But you know, I just you're gonna the the where the appeal has to come is not appealing to the government to do the right thing. It's to appeal to the atheists and say can you just leave people alone so what if that's in there it's not hurting you for it to be in there and if this hotel if this university-owned hotel happened to decide they were going to put qurans in all the bible or it's, and, and and this and the fact is well, the school didn't put the bibles there some other organization already had and if some other organization had already put qurans in there i wouldn't be up in arms saying get rid of the qurans or get rid of you know whatever you know but you know or, some christian or book would. of mormon or whatever and yeah absolutely some christians would And i'd say i'd say to them the same thing Get over it. Well, the Book
4: of Mormon's been in a lot of hotels that I've stayed at, right? And, actually. and that's, and, and, that's and, I, okay. and of course, you know, I'm not a Mormon, but I have no problem with that. Right. Well, here's. Let me just read you the quote. It's not going it's not, it's not to jump
1: out of the bed at night and smack me upside the head, right? It's in the drawer. Let me read you Annie Laura Gaylor's quote.
4: She's the co-president of the Freedom from Religion Foundation. She said, "Anyone zealous enough to read the Bible as bedtime reading will travel with one. The rest of us paying guests seek a vacation from proselytizing when we're on vacation." Um, what is what is offensive at private hotels and motels, however, becomes unconstitutional at public supported
1: rooms. The only way to get offended by it, though, is to actually seek out to be offended because guess because where is the Bible? It's in a drawer next to the bed, a drawer that you never use. Nobody uses that drawer next to the bed. You simply don't use it. And the fact is the reason you're offended is because you sought out a way to be offended and you were bummed when you went to a hotel that didn't have a Bible because you find your completion, you can find your contentment only in being offended. And so when you go to a hotel, Mr. Atheist, when you go to a hotel that doesn't have Bibles in it, you're upset because you're not offended. You seek to be offended. People who are easily offended are people who like to be offended. That's the only worth they find in their life is through being offended.
4: Well, the broader theme here, though, it's like everything else we were talking about culturally, you know, uh, there is a movement to try to push the Bible out of society. And what I love, and I've actually been found this to be helpful in my mind, I think I don't want this to be an excuse for people not to try to fight back against this stuff. But, you know, the gospel has survived 2,000 years, uh, you know, and, and obviously the Bible survived beyond that. Right. Um. And so when we look at all of this, it's like yes, okay, this is going to impact society. Fewer people might be genuine believers, but the gospel is not going to go away. It's going to thrive always. Right. It's going to grow in parts of different parts of the world always, in, until you know until the end, right? Until that that time comes. So, okay, you know, congratulations, you banned a Bible from a hotel, um, but. Right, you know, it, it's, it's silly like, to me. I just, I don't. I'm not that you, worried
1: about some of this stuff anymore, like I used to be. A Bible sitting on a counter or in a drawer is not proselytizing; it's just a resource. Well, they would say it's a public university, and so, they're not. Giving so, you it. do you know. they demand that the public university block if there if the 700? What's the 700 Club channel? 700 Club on what channel is it on? Christian Broadcasting Network, CBN, right? Yeah, don't give many ideas. Chris. Okay, so if the, if the atheists find out that this university hotel has uh, a direct tv package and CBN is part of that direct tv are they going to insist that the hotel block CBN from televisions in the rooms <laughs> possibly <laughs> i mean that's I but that's that's the thing right well it, what if there's a, what if there is a clock radio next to the bed and someone likes to listen to the radio as perhaps for as an alarm for when they wake up are they going to block any sort of christian radio stations that might come through on the fm radio I mean, what's, I you know, where do they draw I, I, the line? And the fact is they draw the line when they can try to eliminate any sort of Christian message from the public square. That's where they draw the line. Because they're hateful, hateful people. It's not because they have some sort of actual moral argument. It's because that they hate, hate, hate Christianity. They don't have a, they don't have a similar hatred for Islam. They don't have a similar hatred for Judaism. They hate Christianity. And they hate Christianity because they know that Christianity is where the truth actually
4: lies. Well, they may not. And It may not even be cognizant. These people may not realize that. I think. No, they know. You know, they. Yeah. Well, look, Dan, Dan Barker, who I have to say I've had very good. Annie Laurie and I always uh, haven't always had the greatest interactions, but Dan, her husband, who is also co-president, we were on Huffington Post Live together. We we talk. I can call him with questions, and we've actually had a very decent conversation many times. And look, sometimes they make good points. There are times in which these groups do make some decent points where you say, okay, well, I can understand where you're coming from there. I just think the Bible stuff is so silly. Even Richard Dawkins admits that the Bible is a book that has, you know, value, you know, to, you know, valuable stories, historical nature. I mean, I I think I've seen him say plenty of things about that, despite all the other awful things I think he said. Um, We have to acknowledge the role that it is, that it is played. And I, and so whatever, bye Felicia.
1: (laughs) 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 Oh man. So, uh, oh, I want to, okay. So let me, let me transition this real quick because before we get into this, there's something that I was reminded of that my friend, something my friend Guy Benson did. He had an interview. Are you an, are you at all a fan of Gary Johnson? I saw him. Didn't I tell you this? Oh yeah, you when ran I into was, him. When hotel? I was at was desert it? News, now, uh, he was you, in the lobby. Did and you tell like, that on hey, air
4: or did you just tell that on the? I think I told it to you, but I'll tell it on air now. I guess i i I was. I mean, it's a brief story. I was at security waiting to go up at in Desert great- News, sorry, and he was just standing there hanging out. And I'm like, he was trying to get into KSL, which is a um, a local NBC affiliate, and. I'm like, is that Gary Johnson wearing jeans? Is that him? <laughs> and um, and then he introduced himself <laughs> to security. And then after, I still wasn't sure because I couldn't hear it, his name. So I, of course, Twitter followed him, right. and then direct messaged him. And I was like, are you, Were you at? <laughs> were you at Deseret News? Like a total stalker. <laughs> and I got a response. And and is KSL owned him. by Deseret. So, um, no, KSL is not owned by Deseret, but. Um, the church owns all of it. I mean, I think they own KSL, they own the Mormon Church,
1: they own Deseret as well. Oh, gotcha. Okay. So, Gary Johnson. Now, I was thinking of this simply, I don't know, I was reading something about illegal immigration or whatever. Now, Gary Johnson is a libertarian candidate for president. My friend, Guy Benson, did a multi-part interview with him that they put out the videos on Town Hall. And he has a discussion with Gary Johnson about illegal immigration. And finally, Gary Johnson has had it with the term illegal immigration. And so, did, did I send this to you? No. It, it's spectacular. So, this is how Guy, because Gary Johnson loses it. I mean, he loses his mind, I mean, as far as he can. And so, and then, but I love Guy's response to it. So, I want to get your take on what you're about to hear, okay? We're going okay. to
6: deport 11 million undocumented workers.
1: Now, he's criticizing the, the Trump plan. Gary, Gary Johnson, a libertarian, is, you know, more of the pro amnesty type, okay?
6: Uh, that is going to result in a real catastrophe
5: economically and a human catastrophe speaking of work visas you have defended President Obama's executive amnesty action where he basically decided unilaterally that he was going to uh, issue work visas to millions of adult illegal immigrants who are here in the country undocumented by the way if you use the term
6: illegal immigrants that is very incendiary to our Hispanic population
1: okay so that's his first response to the guy now guy my dear friend guy is not satisfied just to leave it alone okay because it's about to become gold here because Gary Johnson he's right now he's sitting there with his legs crossed his hands on his knee you know but he starts here pretty soon he gets leaned forward and he's pointing at guy here we go here in this country why
6: is that it I'm just gonna... is it just is just so that you know just so that you know and you don't have to use that term.
1: But it- so treating treating guy like he's a moron, okay? <laughs> now here it comes.
5: Isn't the term accurate in the in the sense that they entered the country, they immigrated to the country illegally, so they are... I'm not they saying- came
6: into this country because I mean- they
5: couldn't get in legally, and the jobs
6: existed. <laughs> and you or I would have done the same thing. And we're talking about now,
1: coming from New Mexico... a Okay, so Gary Johnson, former governor of Mexico, is leaning forward. Now he's, he's uncrossed his legs. He's leaning forward and pointing a guy's chest.
4: Wow. What? What I, I guess what I'm confused about is, you know, if I steal something because I didn't have the money to pay for it and I needed to eat, it's still a crime. Right. It's still illegal. So there guy, are crimes that are more understanding. Go, go ahead. Play okay, the guy arrest. gets
1: a great admission out of him, okay?
6: Population with 48% Hispanic. How's the crackdown? on 11 million undocumented workers gonna work out. It's gonna be dragging people from their homes. That's how it's gonna work out. It's gonna be checking your papers, house to house. And I gotta tell you, what Donald Trump is saying regarding immigration could not be more incendiary. It is
5: insulting to me, coming from New Mexico.
1: Guy's just looking at him.
5: Isn't it, though, unfair to compare, let's say, everything that Donald Trump's saying to simply using the term illegal immigrant? I mean. If I if I were in- undocumented, okay. That's when your- you go
6: back, doc. When you go back <laughs> decades ago, this was not considered illegal. When you go go back that's decades ago, argument. which involve a lot of these eleven million, it wasn't the same <clears throat> issue as it is today. They came over, they were undocumented, they took jobs, they became homeowners, they became fathers, mothers of families. One of the great untold stories right now, also is the fact that Obama has deported two million heads of household. He has broken up two million families
5: in this country. This but great. just, and we'll, great. we'll move on from this point, but if you enter the country without documentation, is that or is that not an illegal act?
6: Well, you're, you're describing that as something criminal when no, you go no, no, back.
5: No, it's, a, it's a pretty simple, the way I asked the question was relatively simple. Is it an illegal act to enter the country in violation of our immigration laws? technically yes
1: (laughs) (laughs) where was this interview where were they It it was uh town hall so ben or not ben guy benson did this interview with gary johnson I just
4: can't. Because again, our, our feelings and
1: emotions are what Trump always, always.
4: <laughs> I do think, I, I will say this a million times, as hilarious as I think that, that was, I think it's a sad oh. spectacle of where we are. Yeah. yeah, we all understand why immigrants come here, some of them. Yeah, I, I don't absolutely. believe some of Trump's rhetoric, but it doesn't make it legal. So right. if you want right. to change the system or come up with a better way then to do it.
1: the system. Don't continue breaking the system. Uh, right. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> well, could that long awkward pause Well technically yes? <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So from the from the from the sublime to the ridiculous, or from the ridiculous to the sublime. Let's talk. No, it's sublime to ridiculous. <laughs> oh, is that what you're saying about Luke? Because I figured we'd do like the next interview next. Do you want to do that I or yes? Yeah, if you're into that. All right. Do you want to take a break and we'll go into the interview, or just let's just do this? Let's just go to the let's interview. Let's do I mean, why don't honestly, you why don't you play it up then a little bit? Explain what it is your people are going to hear because you're the smart guy here. Okay. This was a great interview. This was a ton of fun, by the way.
4: So Luke Smallbone, that's his name, right? Smallbone, which <laughs> it's I think is. What did he, I get that name. It Smallbone. It's like he's got. A, is he Native American? I thought he was Australian. No, though they're Australian. Right, right. Anyway, Luke Smallbone for four from four King and Country. For some reason, they have the hardest time like saying their band name.
1: <laughs> There's something about the word four f o r between them before the right for King and anyway, Country. Yeah, because you sound like you're ca- saying you sound like you're saying a different word. Like because it's four King and Country, but it's like four King, like the the word fork. Like if you're stabbing actually something makes with a fork it angry too.
4: Right. Um, anyway, so he came on the show to talk about his new book called Priceless um, and a new movie called Priceless and and this movement, Priceless, that he and his brother um, have, and they're both in the band, obviously, for King & Country, that they have spearheaded. But really the conversation ended up being 90% about some of the things we've talked about today. Yeah. Uh, culture, where we are, yeah. why the church has been surprised and taken off guard by all the things that have happened in the last couple of years in the culture. And so it was a great, I actually thought it was an amazing interview. And we, I think we might've bamboozled him into agreeing to come back. I think so. And like actually, co-host with us. Right.
1: And maybe, I don't know if we got him on the record that we're having on the show, but at least afterwards when we talked to him, he talked about the possibility of Allah. Um, um, uh, of Matthew, Allah? Allah? No, Allah Matthew West, perhaps coming on and. Well, with Matthew us. West has not come back on this show
4: since the last time he was on. So
1: <laughs> you think, is that how that usually works? And so not been on the show since the last time they were on. <laughs> yeah, no, well, I mean, no, but, duh, but
4: Ellie. like it's been a long time. <laughs> I wonder why. Maybe because somebody keeps talking about his Grammy losses or not <laughs> even being nominated. Maybe he was nominated, uh, I don't even know. But either jerk? way, you're of, awful. What and kind of again, Matthew West's up. name comes up in this interview because Chris wants to put every person in Christian music in an awkward position. Always, <laughs> it's just
1: they all have wonderful, nice things to say about Matthew West. <laughs> because <laughs> he's amazing he's a great Sorry. guy she has a great personality that's a- <laughs> <laughs> i hate you is she roll pretty it. Just is she, pretty? Just oh, just she has a great personality roll.
4: stop yourself and roll it. okay it's billy Hollowell here with the church boys podcast i've got chris field on the line and i've also got luke smallbone of for king and country how you doing today luke
2: I'm good, man. Thank you for uh, taking time out of your day to hang out with me for a little while.
1: Hey, no, thank you for coming on.
4: We're we're excited to have
1: you. It, was, it um, is it is nice. It is good of us to slum it every once in a while, right, Billy? <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, he, <laughs> uh, I'm
2: telling you, I'm amazed. I'm amazed when these people line up these these interviews. I'm like, do these people really know what they're getting themselves into? Do they really want to listen to me talk. <laughs>
4: no, I think the question is, do you know what you've gotten yourself into coming on going on this show. You have to. There do There you go. Field, he's, you know?
1: he's, he's learning.
4: Uh, quickly. But that
2: makes that that makes for a much more exciting day when I when, when we begin an interview like that. There you go. <laughs> well,
4: <laughs> let me. I I want to dive into about hundred different things here, but um. Yeah. You guys, obviously, you make good music, you're popular, but you have a lot of other things going on. One of them is a book that you've that you've written alongside your brother. The other is is a film that is coming out related to that book. But I wanted to ask on a broader scale, you know, the priceless movement, this this notion of people being priceless. Can you take me through what that is and why you guys um, had started that up?
2: Yeah, yeah. So a little bit of backstory about 14 countries. Uh, originally from Australia, moved here when we were pretty young, and my oldest sister was uh, was an artist she went by the name of Rebecca St. James. And so Joel and I kind of grew up out on the road. I, I was a lighting director at a very young age, and Joel was a stage manager, uh, both before it was legal. Uh, but uh, <laughs> we, uh, we also did background vocals, and we grew up uh, out on the road. And so we, at some point along the way, were like, well, what would it look like if we would have sing songs, you know, uh, you know, write write songs, sing on some demos, just see where this whole thing goes. And and we d- had been doing that for a number of years and then our older sister uh invited us out to uh do some girls' conferences. All right, so women's conferences, kinda of mother-daughter things. And, and so she was like, hey, what about what about you guys come out and do a couple songs and then you can back me up as well. so it was it was a great opportunity. But at the same time we were sitting there going this is not what we thought our career was going to amount to, playing women's <laughs> conferences. You know what I mean? It was kind of uh-huh. a little bit of one of those situations. And so when we found ourselves there and we had done a couple of them and our mother actually came to us and she said, hey, uh, this is obvious, but you guys are the only guys here. And I really actually feel like you, you should say something from a guy's perspective to all the women. And so we we were actually kind of stumped by that. We're like, that's actually a really good point. We, we really should do that. We shouldn't just, like, come, play, and leave. And so we we, we started talking about this priceless movement, which was we, we started saying, hey, uh, to women, culture says for you to talk, dress, and act like you're cheap, but we believe that there's a God who says that you're priceless. And and, we, and then after the women's conferences, it had, become, it had kind of started to pick up some steam, and we were playing uh, shows uh, to both girls and guys at this point, and we said to guys, hey, It's time for us to stand up and and stick out and be leaders in our relationships, be men of integrity, be men of chivalry. And uh, honestly, before radio hit and and all the other things that happened, uh, it was the biggest thing that we talked about. I mean, people were like, yeah, that was a great show. So that speech that you did in the middle uh, about that. And so we realized that there was something to this. And about two years ago, we went to our older brother, Ben, who's a film director, and said, hey. What do you think it would look like if, if we were to take this message to the silver screen? What, what would it look like if we were to put pictures to this story? And, uh, and then obviously then came along the book as well. So that's kind of where we find ourselves and how we came up with this whole, uh, this priceless movement. Wow.
4: Um, yeah, well, and and what <laughs> what you guys talk about in that movement is sort of you, know, you look at culture and things are very chaotic. There's a lot sort of going on, um, and and I want to get into some of that. But before we do, because I think we're on a good trajectory to dive into the book, um, the book and the film that are coming out. You've got the book "Priceless," she's worth fighting for. Uh, take me through, and I think you talked about a little of this just now. But but why you guys wrote this um, novel, and and take me through the themes you're hoping resonate.
2: Yeah, well, you know, when you're, when you're making a, uh, a movie, uh, we thought to ourselves, hey, obviously we want to get this message out to as many people as possible, and obviously there's people that go see movies, and then there's other people that, that read books. And so we thought to ourselves, well, how cool would it be? Because we, we had the screenplay written, and, and, and you know it's out there with some L.A. writers, and we, we're getting it back, and we were looking at, hey, let's make this film, but should we tag on a book as well? And so we actually wrote the book based off of the screenplay, which usually it's, it's the reverse, which was really fun because as we all know, I mean, I was a big Lord of the Rings fan and, and you read those books and you're like, you read those books, you watch those films and there are some holes in the story. Mm-hmm. And so for us, obviously in every film, you have some holes in the story. And so for us, we were able to fill in some of those things. Actually there's about five or six chapters before we even get to the beginning of the film in the book. And, and the thing is the reason why, uh we 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 feel so driven to release music write a book and and uh and a movie about this topic is i believe that today's day and age is being discipled by uh what's coming through the headphones their speakers and what they're seeing on screen whether it be television television screens or or cell phone screens and so we have to make content that competes with everything the church should not be second class in the art that we deliver and so we we have a passion for making great music, uh, hopefully writing great books and, and making uh, great movies that can withstand the test of time. And then we also find ourselves in a, in a day and age where young people are identityless. They don't know their worth. They don't know who they are. They're being told by everybody else, hey, if I dress like this then that guy might be interested in me, if I, if I say that or I go to that party, then maybe I'll be considered cool. And we kind of want to say, whoa, 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 wait up. That's not where it starts. And that's the real reason why we've got this book, why we've got the the movie and, and the song. Well, you guys are kind of hitting a number
4: of different. Yeah, you know, my my concern, and this is something that I've actually forced Chris to listen to me talk about. But I've actually made Chris um, <laughs> do an interview for this book that I'm working on, which is uh, about kind of what you were just talking about. And I only bring it up because because you, you wanted know, my,
1: to, because you wanted to push your book in an interview no, the with a famous you wanted apart, to push your so. book in an interview with a famous person. That's why you're bringing it up.
2: There you go. Hey, I'm. A, hey, here's the truth. If you need to push your book, man, let's talk about that book. See, there
4: we go. Well, it doesn't come out for a while, but, but it's about, it's about Hollywood media and universities and kind of how all of these things are reinforced. And if you don't go to church, those are really the only places you learn. Um, you know, and and you talked about, Things coming through the headphones and all that—it's really fascinating to me that there seems to, this this theme seems to be everywhere. What you just talked about—it's not just coming from one area. Um, and so, if people don't do what you're doing, mm-hmm. you know, the fear is <laughs> that there's nothing to push back against that, right? To counteract that message in it in any way. Would you say um, that you think these dynamics have gotten worse? Do you think they've stabilized? I mean, when you kind of look at just the relationships, the way that women are treated, and all of that.
2: I think that the church got caught off guard years ago by secularism. I think that they didn't have a, and we haven't had a plan on how to counteract the smartest brains in the world in media, to be totally honest. I I don't think that we have actually thought to us. Our pastor said something very interesting. He said it's time for the church to intelligently and strategically handle very complicated matters. And I feel like that's true. I, I, when he said that, I was like, "Man, he's right." You know, we just kind of—if it's too over our heads and we don't have an answer for it, we kind of go, "You know what? I'll just—I'll just won't teach on that this weekend. I might bypass <laughs> that and go to other teachings that are very uh, pressing and things, but they might not be the most pressing." And so when we when we look at uh, culture and how we're treating women. Uh, I mean, for one, you know, three dudes on the phone, you know, uh, on this, on this podcast, where, where, where that, that, those conversations start and, and we're not doing an effective job on leading our families, being people in our relationships, being people that are treating our spouses. It starts in the, the small rooms of our lives yeah. and gets wider. It doesn't, it's not, and it's not once you and I and all of us get our messaging right on a podcast or on interviews or whatever that that starts to come inward. It starts in our families, it starts in our workplaces, and we need to be people that are are treating others as if they're worth something significant for that message yeah. to really spread wider.
1: And I would I would add to your point about the church, well, I think you're spot on that we we're caught off guard by secularism, but I think it's also not just being caught off guard, but we spent a long time, you know, and I'm, I'm one of those guys who's old enough that I was a fan of your sister's work, um, and so I—that's I, my age range. Yeah, he's right? super. He's Dude, super, you just he's, dated yourself. I know. Cool, I, know right? I, I, don't want, I don't want. I don't want to talk I mean, about. He's it. I don't, like want, super I don't old. want to talk about it. Don't want to talk about <laughs> it. Just turned forty-one, and that's where we're just going to leave this. Right? Very, okay. Oh, uh,
4: not too bad. <laughs> so not, I'm, a, I'm just not about older. a decade younger. Yeah, you you're know, eight years five. younger,
1: so that's fine. So, but but I would say that it's not just that the church was caught off guard by secularism, but that the, the church did so much time spending, we we spent a lot of time telling ourselves and telling each other what we shouldn't be doing, and we then refused to engage because we were afraid that the immorality of the world was going to make us ungodly when we got it backwards, that it's ungodliness, ungodliness that leads to immorality. Isn't that right?
2: Man, you're, uh, that's a, I mean, that's a, that's a great point. One of, I, I'll never forget, uh, when I was, uh, I've been married six years and when we were doing like our prep for marriage counseling, marriage counseling stuff, one of the, uh, that our counselor said, he said, you know what, the number one thing, uh, that causes divorce? And I said, uh, you know, you're just kind of like, you don't want to answer Jesus. <laughs> you just want to just say the right answer. Right. Of, well, obviously not Jesus. You try to do this, but this right. And I was like, what's the number one thing? And he said, uh, he said it's drifting. Mm. And what the church has actually done is because we're not willing to take some of these issues head on, is that we've drifted. Yeah. And so we've tried to play it safe. We've built up kind of religious walls. And and dude, don't get me wrong, I'm a lover of the church. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be one of those guys that's just critical for, for, for the sake of being critical. I'm not that. I am in church. I love church. I want right. to be a part of solutions. But we can't drift any longer. Right. We've got to be people that are actively actively actually uh, creating solutions because, uh, otherwise we end up just creating something that isn't Jesus We create all the things that we think are, but it's actually not what Jesus taught. Right. Right.
4: Yeah. No, for sure. I mean, what would you say, um, to other people? I mean, look, you guys are, you've written a book, you, you guys are doing this movie, um, and obviously, you perform music what What would you say to Christians about media, entertainment, universities to maybe try to counteract this what What, what yeah, should yeah. people do?
2: Man, well, my whole theory is uh, we where we've gotten soft on our, on our art. if you look back years ago during the Renaissance, most of the great art was coming through the church, to be honest. Mm. you know they were you know you look at a Sistine Chapel, you look at some of the the paintings, the sculptures that was really kind of the modern. The modern art of the time, right? It was usually commissioned by the church. And and so obviously, the best of the best was coming out of the church. And so I feel like uh, there's been a little bit of a degree of, hey, if it's got a good message, then we'll play it in our church. Uh, If it's got a good message, then the message is good enough. And you know what? if our message is the greatest message in the world, then our art needs to match the greatest message in the world. So therefore we don't need to be making music. that's cheesy. We don't need to be making movies that are cheesy, that aren't being authentic and real mm-hmm. there. You know, some movies that we're, that we're making are we're making movies as they should, as we hope them to be not as they are mm-hmm. and not as we are. And so I would say, man, if you want, if you want to get involved in film, you know, put in your 10,000 hours. Be world-class at it. If you want to get involved in journalism, be world-class at what you do in journalism. If you want to get involved in music, know that it's going to be really hard. And if it's easy, it's probably because it's not good. It's probably not because it's not all that good. Yeah. You've got to be willing to sacrifice for things that are great. And I think that the secular side of, 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 of uh, uh, life understands that. You know, yeah, I might go to college. I might study. I'm going to work my way up. It might take me years. But we feel like for some reason on our side of the street that we go, oh, because we, we have the answer, we feel like it should be easier. And, I, and when I read the scriptures, uh, the gospel is anything but easy, but it's joyful, and it's rewarding, and mm-hmm. it's fulfilling. And that's what we should be after.
0: Yep.
4: Well, this has been great. Um, Chris, do you have any other, you have I, any other questions I, to
1: torment him with? I, di- I did have one other question. Um, now, are you a Grammy wedding artist? <laughs> yes.
2: Yes. Okay. Uh, I, it, yeah.
1: Are federal you, wars. I am. Yeah. Right. Um, and do you know a, a guy? Uh, what's this clown's name? um Matthew West. <laughs>
3: yes, I know Matthew.
1: <laughs> 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 Leave Matthew alone. I'm just curious. Could you? Um, is have you offered him any career pointers or anything like that?
2: <laughs> Let's put it this way. Matthew's doing pleasantly fine <laughs> by himself. You know, the, the grabbies are. Uh, it, you know, I'm very <laughs> thankful. Uh, don't get me wrong. But, you know, if it, it's a politicalist thing. If you find yourself on the right side of a situation yeah. at the right time, you might win yourself a Grammy. Uh, well, hopefully they do recognize good art. I hope that's the case. Yeah. But, you know, it, it, uh, it, it the awards in this life are, are, are a funny thing because yeah, we make a huge deal out of them. But at the end of the day, those things live in an attic and, and gather dust, and 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 it's not it, it, that's not what's actually bringing hope to the world, or right. or even gonna probably get played at a, a, on a radio station or anything. They just sit there.
1: Yeah, and 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 we love we love to give Matthew a, a hard time about that. Um, what of is, course. What is that whole experience like, though? I mean, that's that's got to be some there's, there's and as much as we want to say it gathers dust or it's in an attic, and I I agree those things those kinds of things are fleeting but there is something to be said for, uh, if if the politics aren't involved and it's a recognition of your art and your work and the gifts that God has given you, there's an affirmation there of what you're doing. What's that like?
2: Well, I mean, you've, you've actually asked the exact question that I tried to answer uh, when we won these awards. You know, the truth is those awards do represent people, and so if if uh, if somebody's coming up to you and saying, "Hey, your your podcast is an award winning podcast," and at a, that no, point you go, happened. "Man, thanks," because that means that people were listening. That means people were were being impacted by what you were doing, and that's the way that I felt with with the Grammys. It was it was humbling. I'll be the first to say we were we weren't able actually to attend. We had a concert that night, oh. and I'm driving to the the venue with my my wife and two kids and my my youngest was like six months old at the time screaming bloody murder Hmm. and i get a phone call saying uh hey you won you won both of the the grammys that you're up for and it just kind of was like a i I mean i just didn't i didn't expect i didn't expect it and not to be the normal person oh i didn't expect this is coming by surprise i just i just (laughs) didn't I didn't know what to think. Yeah. And so my wife and I just got to have this moment of just like, man, look at how people respond to the music. Look, what, right. look what's happening. And I, and I hope that those things uh, are, represent lives changed. I hope whether if, it, if they are just gathering dust, then, the, then they represent significant lives change over the course of, uh, of, of, of our career. Right. Cool.
4: Well, I love this. This has been great, and uh, we got to have you back again,
2: dude. Let's do it, man. Absolutely. You know my people know where your people are at, and your people know where I'm There we go. At, so we'll, we'll have to. We'll, we'll have to work it out, man. And I
4: apologize for Chris um, <laughs> harassing Matthew again. This is a prime example of what happens when the elders well, lose the all their wait, I mean, friends. wait, 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 wait,
2: wait. Yeah, I mean, I'm, Chris. Chris, Chris, Matthew deserves some of it, you know, because he's easy to make fun of just because he is who he is. Uh, and uh, But I love him. We actually were just on tour with it earlier this year for uh, – a number of uh, a number of months co-headlining on a tour. So that guy's wickedly talented and uh his if, if it's a, the Grammy that he wants it's only a matter of time.
4: Oh, totally. <laughs> I mean he's he's amazingly talented and Chris is just elderly and says whatever comes I'm, to his well, mind. For one you know? i there I'm, you go. for there one go. for one, one I'm
1: good. for one I'm jealous of not being as talented or as good looking. But the other thing it's and, and understand Billy's not going to ask to have you back on until you're working on another film that maybe he could find an angle to get in on. <laughs> He's somebody he loves the camera. So if you have anything that's coming up, what's funny is I just
2: realized what happened. I, I, I came on here to talk about a book. And he's like, I'm not going to let him have the promo for the book. I got to throw my book in there. And he had the See? last word about See? the book.
4: Right, exactly. See? See how it is? This is what I do. But there wasn't a movie role in it for me this time.
2: I, I was this in time. Left Behind, the reboot. He loves to point this out. Were you, the guy, were you guys the guy that was actually figuratively left behind? No, I was raptured.
4: So I had like okay. two oh. seconds of on-screen time, and my clothes had more time left behind than I did. There you, total, you and
2: my You and my sister alike. My sister had a pot a in like, for, uh, I know she did. That film is, there you go. There I you go. know
4: she did, and she was in the the first series there, and then I I had a chance <laughs> to be in there, and I and I may just appear in another and in, in the second part if they do a second piece of it. But even because right. my there part was go. so small, nobody will even know that I was wow. in the first one. Well,
2: nobody that's will know. that's weird. I don't know how you could be raptured multiple See, times. I, nobody, nobody will know. Billy nobody. says nobody <laughs> will know.
1: He every chance he gets, he mentions it. How is it possible nobody's going to know? You Whatever. you speak about it all the time. <laughs>
4: <laughs> anyway, Luke, we, we're having you back again. And yeah. I'm gonna make sure we link out to Priceless. She's worth fighting for. Everybody go out, get the book. And the movie comes the movie's out in October, right? October fourteenth. Yeah,
2: October fourteenth, man. Yeah. Awesome. That's the you know, the, the, the book is fun because hopefully people grab the book and be super interested and want to come out and see the film. But the film is uh the film is uh a, a big one for us. Are you in it? I am not in it, man. I was uh, one of the producers. My brother Joel is. Uh, I, we kind of grew up making films yeah. as, as teenagers, and I was always the first one to get killed in is, the films that we made. is so Joel I, the good-looking? That, is Joel the good one? My...
1: Is Joel the good-looking one?
2: Joel's the good-looking one, oh, man. He's got bigger nice. biceps than me that as that's, well. That stinks. You Look, know, as
4: somebody who's been raptured and didn't have much film time, I totally understand.
2: <laughs> and it's, yeah, and you <laughs> totally understand. Well, here's the thing: if if we do another film called "You're Still Priceless." <laughs> uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, you can have a role. Uh, I love it.
4: Filmed. I love it. I don't even need a speaking role. I just need to just have just a chance to look uh, pretty for yeah, a Yeah, then you'll seconds. have
2: all the left behind people fans say, Remember that guy? He was raptured. Yeah.
4: Yeah, that's right. And I, you know, I actually did leave my jeans behind. I never got my jeans back from the set. It was really <laughs> terrible. I left them and then they never. Oh, man. Back, so. uh, They
2: weren't diesel jeans because those are legitimately expensive. Yeah. No, they
4: were very, they were like old Navy jeans. So we're good. Okay, but, there you go. All right, well, this has been great. Thank yes, you for uh, for coming on today. <laughs> no
2: Thanks. worries, guys. Thank you. Thanks for All the time. Right. Thanks for the, the humor. I enjoy it. All right, I'll talk to you later. The And now, back to the Church Boys. They're a real pain in my a-
1: So, Billy, I was thinking we should have a little Aerosmith as we get into this last segment and this last story. Okay, you ready? <clears throat> Dude just had a baby, yeah, yeah. Dude just had a baby. No, no i you're not, not so, feeling you're, that. You're I'm not entertained. America is either. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so the today I saw the perhaps the most awkward story I have ever seen. <laughs> um, it is a piece that was in Time Magazine by Jesse Hempel, and the headline, believe it or not. <clears throat> This is the world we live in now, folks. This speaks... uh, Billy, you could probably just take this this article and just slap it into your book. (laughs) Here's the headline. This is an actual headline from a national publication. My brother... My brother's pregnancy and the making of a new American family. (laughs) Here's the subhead. My brother Evan was born female. He came out as transgender 16 years ago but never stopped wanting to have children. Having a baby. This spring, he gave birth to his first child. I got news for you, Jesse. Evan was never a dude. So, did you read the story when I, I sent it to I you? I did.
4: I did. I read it. It's um, sad.
1: It's sad. No, I mock it, but it's sad. It's very sad. I, Yeah, I, I. but what strikes me,
4: and the last thing I want to do is attack anybody or go against anybody or yeah, make too. anybody feel bad, but I also feel like I'm tired of being in a position of not being able to say something kindly about what I believe and when, and and because everyone else is talking about what they believe. So why can't I say what I believe? And I think this issue is a really tough one because you're dealing with issues that, um, you know, like, look, when we talk about bulimia or anorexia or some of these other issues, we treat them very differently. And I'm not a psychologist. I'm not somebody who looks at dysmorphia or, um, really understands all the elements of it. But I, I think We've gone from maybe slamming people and being so nasty about people to just embracing it unquestionably. And, and I don't know what the answers are on any of these issues. I think they're complicated. But I think that, and this article talks about this that how how is society going to look at this? You know, how is society going to process this changing gender role? And I, I mean, and then the picture. Uh, the oh. picture on the story is what got me.
1: The picture of the picture of quote Evan feeding breastfeeding the baby. Now, Evan is a chick who thinks she's a dude, right? So, here's let me read the first couple paragraphs from this and and explain to me, explain to me how we are not doomed as a society if we're going to embrace this. Now, if we were to look at this as some sort of um strange behavior that's like that's not okay let's try to address this that'd be one thing but we're mainstreaming and normalizing this and many Americans even though they may be repulsed by it or think it's not okay or whatever are unwilling to stand up and say that's not okay okay so here is the opening from this story when the call came my brother Evan was at work in the open op- was work was at work in the open office in Cambridge Massachusetts he shares with seven colleagues who like him again this is a this is a person who was born female and decided that they this female decided she was a man, who shares with him seven seven colleagues who like him help run clinical trials for a drug developer. The phone number came up blocked, so he knew it must be the doctor. He stood up, unsteady on his feet. Was he a little nauseous, or was that just adrenaline? He ducked into the hallway in search of quiet. My brother Evan, thirty-five, is a stocky guy of medium height with a trimmed fuzzy fuzzy blonde beard and two gemstones studs in each earlobe. Okay. There, that sentence is full of errors. My brother Evan is a stocky guy. No. Your sister Evan is, your sister is confused and calls herself Evan and is apparently big boned. Evan usually wears a Red Sox hat and when he's nervous, he'll remove it and obsessively bend the rim. But on that September afternoon, both of his hands were clutching his phone, the right one cupping the left for privacy. Hello? Yeah. <laughs> You're unbelievable. This is Dr. Kowalik, said the voice. Do you ever have wait, do huh? you ever have like a
4: moment with your wife where she's like, Chris, you're out of control, like just mm-hmm. to rein you in? Sometimes.
1: Okay. so, so skipping down skipping down a little bit further. The stocky
4: comment. <laughs> I can't.
1: I can't. Evan knew he should feel excited. Again, she. Evan is a Evan so here's how we know that Evan is a she. Okay. Here's how we it becomes proven within the article itself. We know that Evan is a she. It is proven. Evan knew he should feel excited, but instead he felt a chill of anxiety and anticipation. He'd wanted this for so long, he later told me, and had been getting, had been close to getting it. Then four months earlier, he'd miscarried after Kowalik told, wait, miscarried? After Kowalik told him she couldn't find a heartbeat during his first ultrasound. The doctor was brief. Evan was pregnant. Dun, dun, dun. So that's where, well, we'll just leave it there. We continue to embrace this idea that someone who chooses to call themselves a man, even though they are female, is somehow a man and vice versa. Men cannot become pregnant. Women become pregnant. Women carry babies. Women breastfeed babies. We are not seahorses, right? And Thank God. <laughs> but So this no, is this uh... disturbing. In the picture, I mean, the, the multiple pictures they have of Evan breastfeeding the baby can this this child is so screwed at trying to understand how life actually is supposed to work you have destroyed i i, I again i'm going to sound like a horrible animal you have destroyed the life of this child by doing this you have completely perverted everything that you know should be taught as true because you have your own personal desires and your own selfish ambition and you're and you're hurting a child that is selfish now, look, other people are going to say, oh, that well, I'm a monster.
4: you know, I'm
1: a monster. I know.
4: Well, you know, I think that you are somebody who just says it like you feel
1: it. You don't worry about you don't worry about it. And you say it. I think a lot of and people I'm are not afraid. Meaning, to- I'm not meaning to hurt feelings here. That's not my point. My point is just very straightforward. Black and white say if you have an X and y, if you have two X chromosomes, you're a chick. That's how it is. You are not a male if you are pregnant and breastfeeding a baby you just gave birth to. That does not make you a man, right? It means that you are a female. You can call yourself whatever you want—a poodle, a female, a male, a, you know, a desk, a television. You can call yourself a, a, a microphone. You can call yourself whatever you want. It doesn't make you that. You are what you are.
4: I think the challenge to this is, you know, how do you engage people for people who believe that this is not that you can't change your gender. that gender is not just something that you that's in your head. that gender is something more than that, which I think mm-hmm. biologically we know it yes. is. Um, <clears throat> how do you engage with people? Because you know, I know nothing you just said is going to resonate with anybody who you would want to reach with that because they're right. going to say you just said I hurt kids. You just said you know. So how no, do you do it? Be- I don't that know. That
1: behavior hurts
4: children. Right, right, right. And, I'm just and, I'm right. saying like the, the critique to you that people are going to give you is, right. well, you've said nothing to help. And I think this goes back that's Remember possible. our thing with Matt Walsh
1: and And sometimes sometimes saying nothing to help you're you're the person might say you've said nothing to help. Sometimes we have to lay out what the facts are. Right? No, and I think that's and I think that's true. I'm not I'm not condemning you for know,
4: saying what you said. Yeah, I'm fine. saying you know also there are different venues of discussion. There are people right. saying, hey, you know, we, we need to be having more candid conversations about this as right. Christians. How do you engage? If you knew you had a, an audience of 200 transgender people listening right now, how are you going to talk differently about it to them? I don't know the answer to that. Right.
1: I, I don't know. I don't know that I know either other than, hey, we, maybe we have 200 transgender people who are going to listen to this next and go, well, maybe he has a point. Listen. Well, will they buy our or, mug? Or, 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 oh, Oh Yeah. We just found a whole new market. Billy, we have a whole new thing. We're going to put on this. We, oh, we have a whole line of mugs we can create now. You're awful. How about we just have. We could create. A, no, for those of you who don't know, we could create a line of mugs that say, I am Evan. How about that? Would that be acceptable? What are you doing, by the way? You're just. It's, uh,
4: it's, I'm looking at a design for our church boys
1: mug as we're so on the Billy air. Has, here. Billy has decided. Billy has decided that um, we're not making enough money doing this podcast, so now he wants to sell crap. Because <laughs> zero dollars is, you know, <laughs> he's not happy with the with the with the with all the money we're raking, and he thinks we need to be paid more for this silly podcast. So let's transition here. Wait, wait, no, don't, okay. I just so,
5: talked about no, what, is, what
1: What is it you're going to try to sell?
4: Well, I wanted to sell the T-shirt because these t-shirts are only on sale till next Friday. There's a hoodie and a t-shirt, and these are not related to the church boys. This is I'm gonna take any money that I get from this and donate it to the Run against Hunger, which is the five k I'm going to waddle through in October. Um, but it, it Chris is Chris is laughing. He can't even handle it anyway. I am selling uh, shirts that say, just pray on them. They're all different (laughs) colors. Hoodies say, just pray on them. Um, The the whole purpose of this is to try to encourage people, um, but but also to raise money for a good cause. So you can go.
1: The whole purpose of this, the entire purpose of this is so that you, Billy Hallowell, can get a free pie. That is the entire purpose. No, I missed the pies. (laughs) What? Yeah, I registered too late. Oh, man. So, why but are you doing this? I, cause also, I don't. There's got to be another motive. I do, not, I do not believe you. I do not believe you. I, I did you, not get the pie, and I'm not. But happy I don't about believe it. you. That, there has to be some sort of other motive for this because I do not believe no, that you're just I'm being, just doing it for a
4: good cause. I'm doing it because I think it's a good cause. I mean, and it's so hard to believe. So you got you to gotta go to slash Teespring, prayer changes everything, and you can get the shirts. And you can get the. Yeah, you know, the prices are a little high. I won't lie. It's like $16 for a shirt, 32 for bad. a hoodie, or 35 That's for a hoodie. But not horrible. That's not horrible. No, it's not horrible. And again, whatever money you get, you get something out of it. And then whatever money is left over is going to go
1: right over to um, the run against hunger. I'm not going to take hunger. a cent of it. So, so is this the run against hunger? Is this the one that has all the donuts and pastries out at the very beginning of the race too? Or and, the and hamburgers. Yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> so it's, it's a run against hunger. And then they're going to feed all the people who just ran rather than taking that food and giving it, to them, giving it to the people who are hungry. Is that right?
4: Well, no, it's these people set up booths because they're smart and they want to make money. Right. So I'm assuming I don't think it's the organizers, but other people come and they're waiting for you. So you just run this 5K and you're like, yeah, or a 10K. There's a 10K, too, but I'm not doing that. Um, And you and you are done and you come in and you're eating a burger right after or cookies. I mean, it's it's completely absurd. It's it's and it's also like 8 a.m., by the way. Like, I don't know why there's burgers at 8am.
1: Okay, so what is this get rich quick scheme that you've got for us? Because we, so we, we need to go. We are actually going to launch a couple of different
4: mug options. Oh, no. Um, and one of them is just a hashtag that says the church boys. And then under it, and I haven't even cleared this with you yet. It's it's not our logo, it's just the hashtag. And then under it in text, it, it has the, um, you know, from the sublime to the ridiculous, but mostly ridiculous. It's a black mug or a brown mug I just or just don't. A I don't
1: see this going well.
4: I think people, listen, I want you guys to buy mugs, okay? And the, where you will go to buy the mugs will be teespring.com. And you guys have got to do this because we need to, we need to sell the mugs in order for them to ship out. Teespring.com, T-E-E-S-P-R-I-N-G.com slash boys, And you will be able to, by the time this show runs
1: and airs, you will be able to buy your official church boys mug oh it's painful so so uh we you gonna rake in a whole lot of money from this or what's what what is what is it well, what is your intent here what is
4: what's your, probably well, not gonna make
1: any money but i don't know i mean why not okay, well so, i think there should be church boys mugs i think you're probably right and so maybe we can buy all of them and then give them away because nobody's oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, well i think there i think we've got a few, i think we have some people who will buy them but so you want people to go to where give the URL again before we get out of here. This is Teespring, Teespring.com slash the church boys. Teespring no like T E E or the letter T. T E E. T E E S P R I N G dot com slash the Church Boys. And what's your one for your your
4: uh get a free pie? Teespring.com slash prayer changes
1: everything. We've already prayer.
4: I've already sold like five or six oh, of these wow, shirts. great. Guess how many, I, guess how many I've
1: purchased? What? Guess how many of your shirts I, I've bought? Zero. Right. Guess how many I'm going to buy? Zero. Right. So, so the really important one then is Springs dot com slash the boys, and people can get get a delicious, a, a delicious, a fabulous mug. Uh, <laughs> what, is it You're gonna so have our, weird. Is it gonna have our faces on it? Um, Are you gonna do one with our well, faces, or just gonna be know the if text? You could get me a high, you know. I'll, res. See, I'll try to send you a picture or something. All right, we'll see if we can. Goodbye. <laughs> so, I don't understand, but I don't understand the, what led you to do this.
4: I'm, you know what? It's my latest, I'm taking a key from Sarah Rivette. It's my latest scam to make money. But I'm not making any money from any of the ones I'm doing to start. I'm just testing the waters.
1: You see if you can't, give yourself some busy work, bring in some cash, and then give it all away.
0: There you go. The Church Boys.